After years of living in solitude in the woods of Oregon, hunting truffles, cooking rustic mushroom tarts, and staring longingly into the lake, Robin Feld's truffle pig gets stolen. Forcing him to team up with his business associate in order to find her, Feld ventures back into the city of Portland and back into his past he isolated himself from in the first place in 2021's Revenge Drama Pig. I'm Colton Jenkins. I'm Connor Izagari. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome back to the Filmgasm Podcast and our second to last episode of our love letter to food movies we are lovingly calling Foodgasm. Today we are discussing one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies, 2021's revenge-ish drama, Pig. I fucking love this movie. It's so good. I don't know why. I was like looking for reviews for what's in the box and I like sorted them from like worst to best. People are fucking stupid. <laughs> like people are like this movie's boring. They tried to rip off John Wick. I don't get it. One of my favorite hobbies these days is looking at the negative reviews on Letterboxd of acclaimed films. Yeah. Because there's very, very rare that there's any actual like justifiable beef there. It's usually just people like, this movie sucks. It's like some dumb shit. And I really, I, I, I do find it hard to believe there's people who aren't touched by this movie. I know. Um, I think it all has to do with the marketing. This thing was marketed terribly. I remember the yeah. trailer for Pig. It, it made it look like this was Taken or John Wick, you know, with a yeah. pig. And everyone was kind of like, really? Of course, Nicolas Cage would do a movie where he's going to like mow down a bunch of assholes to save a pig. Yeah. And then I saw it and I'm like, holy shit, this is one of the best representations of mourning I've ever seen. <laughs> like, this yeah. is very touching and emotionally driven and some of his best work in years. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And then it came and went and nobody really talked about it again. And I'm glad we decided to include it on this, uh, this, uh, journey here. Yeah. Um, this movie isn't really, it is a food movie, but I think it's more like about the feeling that goes into food and like memories associated with food, um, which I think is important. Um, do you like, would you classify this as a revenge drama? Not a revenge drama. I think very much just a, a standard drama. Mm. Uh, more of a grief metaphor. Um, oh, yeah. And it does have elements of food in it. You know, he's a he's an acclaimed chef who gave it all up because he lost the only person who mattered to him. And he's clearly influenced so many people in this movie to start their own thing. But also, like, they've abandoned their individuality in, to, you know, cater to the masses. And it's made them lose touch with who they are. And that is a yeah. big part of art itself. Yeah. And we'll talk a lot about that uh, when we get to the uh, categories, because that's something I really want to hone into here. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, this is this is a unique film. Yeah, I think that this movie does. Um, in, in the movie we did a while ago, Burnt, there's a part about like how cooking has become fake. This movie in like five minutes in a five minute scene does more to touch on that <laughs> than that entire movie did, I think. Which is sad. 
burnt is like you know i liked it but it's it's like you know getting some chips at the gas station it's like yeah i like this but you know it's not going to nourish me but i'm going to yeah. be happy for the next hour eating these chips pig is like oh my god i haven't tasted this in ages and now i have and it's making me think of why i fell in love with this in the first place and it's like it's that kind of movie yeah. and those those are the ones you got to look out for i think that's a good that's a good way to put it but i think <laughs> burnt are the chips you get at the gas station that are like um you know they're they're artisan unquote in quotes like truffle flavored potato chips like it's still fucking potato chips <laughs> but sure they taste fancy and then pig is like those restaurants that are on like the Netflix food documentary, you know, like travel shows where like, yeah, it's a Michelin star winning restaurant, but it's literally just like a guy with a food cart. I feel like that's that's pig. Yeah, it's like it doesn't need you. It's happy just making art, making food on its own. If you should happen to be a part of that, fantastic. But it knows what it is and it doesn't need you. Exactly. Um, also, I just want to say, um, as long as I had a Wi-Fi to do the show and to play Baldur's Gate, I would love to live where Nicolas Cage lives in this movie. It's gorgeous. I want to live in the middle of nowhere. I want to make mushroom tarts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I mean, I want to have access to a toilet. Like wherever I am. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a that, big part of it. Yeah. <laughs> a shower, a toilet, and a phone would be would be nice, yeah. I hope I'm never in a situation where I have lost everything to the point where I do not care if I live or die and I just set up camp in the woods and just live until I either die or something takes me out. I really hope yeah. I'm not ever in that situation. Yeah, no. Um, but he's, like, strucken with grief. He, like, feels like he has to isolate himself in order to, like move on which leads into my question for you for this episode um this might be this might be a really depressing question but it's it's what it's what this movie is about so has there ever been a time in your life where you realized that in order to truly move on and to have good memories of something you had to fully embrace the loss and grief with that event damn that is a deep moment of self-realization um so i'm i'm fairly lucky in life that i've not yet suffered any like serious death of somebody close to me mm -hmm. um it's gonna happen i dread the day that it happens but so far i have not had that happen on a more metaphorical sense i have had a bit of a realization lately regarding some personal relationships that in order to kind of move past some toxic people, I've had to just cut them off to just end, mm. end it right there and just take the memories I do have that are pleasant and hold on to those, but don't make them any more than they were. Yeah. There's, there's a couple people in spe like specifically who I won't name here, but I've, I've held on to some torches and you had to, I had to realize, you know, fairly recently that like it was a one-sided thing that never was more than I, than I, you know, may have thought. And to move on, you kind of just have to accept that it was, you know, that all you're doing is wasting your time. All you're doing is creating situations that are just going to make you 
sad down the road and just break you even further. So don't do that to yourself. Yeah. And uh, in doing that, you know, I cut them off and I have not regretted it. So <laughs> I uh, that's 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 about the best I got. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also I'm very fortunate to not have gone through anything like that um, either. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think this movie is like, it's very much, you can be sad if you lose something or someone, but I, I, I guess the only way to say this is to, I don't mean like, I'm not, I don't want to be an asshole about it, but it happened. There, There's a, I'm really like, uh, getting really invested in like learning like different uh, philosophical, you know, concepts and stuff like that. And there's one uh, stoicism. It's very much like you can't change things that you can't affect. So if you lose someone or something, there is no point in, you know, beating yourself up about it and, you know, living in that guilt because I won't change anything. So just, focus on being happy focus on the good times and realize that that thing or person they're gone now enjoy the memories and move on one of my favorite depictions of a healthy way of mourning was uh the funeral of graham chapman of monty python <laughs> it was uh john cleese did the eulogy and uh I don't remember exactly what he said, but he he said something to the to the effect of good riddance to the arrogant bastard. I'm glad he's dead or something like that. And everyone <laughs> cracked up because that's exactly what Graham Chapman would have wanted. Yeah. And I love the idea of, you know, don't be sad that they're gone. Smile that they were because they were here. Yep, exactly. I like that. I don't know if that's how I'll handle grief when I'm really faced with it. I hope that's what I do. But I'm a pretty emotional person. I have a feeling I'm going to be broken really hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is, you know, it's hard to, you don't really get to decide how you mourn. It happens no. in, in, it happens the way it happens. And uh, some people handle it well, some people don't, some people never heal, some people heal really quickly. And uh, I don't know which type I am. I won't know till it, till I'm affected by it. Yeah. And some people decide to live in the woods with a pig. Yeah. Some people, you know, the person they lose is their entire life. And when they're gone, whoever they were with that person is dead too. And that's just a terrible tragedy. Yeah. Um, do you agree with Amir's dad? In what way? Keeping your wife on life support. Yeah. Is, is life worth living if you don't have any experiences to live through. No. Is life worth it just to be life? No, I, I I feel exactly the same way. To quote, and I know this is wild, but to quote the 1999 James Bond movie, The World is Not Enough. <laughs> There's no point in living if you can't feel alive. Exactly. Yeah. Which is it's crazy, the, the, like, you know, meaningful shit you'll hear from the weirdest sources but yeah yeah i i think that you know in in situations like that when there is no quality of life left when there's no hope i think it's 
selfish and cruel to prolong that life. Yeah. I think, I know there's, you know, you, you want to hold on to the hope that there's a way out, that there is some kind of, you know, blue fairy Disney movie magic happy ending here, but life doesn't work like that. Um, I always bring up video games whenever I play, but it it's another form of art that I love next to movies. And I always feel like it's a, it's an active form of consuming art. But it's funny you say that because one, there's a horror game. One of my favorite games of all time called Soma, which that is a huge premise of the game. You, you're a guy, you have brain cancer and we have, you have a brain injury, you're dying. So you scan your brain and you wake up like thousands of years later as a robot. And a huge, you know, theme of the game is um, like, are you still human if your consciousness is in a robot? And like, you have moments where you have to decide there are robots that believe that they're human. Do you shut them off? Do they have a life worth living or not? Um, it's it's a lot more than that. I'm not going to get into the whole thing here, but um, but yeah, it it's a it's a big question. I I think all human life is sacred if the life is being lived, you know, not just being alive. If that makes sense, I don't know how else to to phrase it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's people out there who are wasting their existences, do you know, being pieces of shit, you know, killers or rapists or abusers or yeah just you know only going to dunkin donuts every day and doing nothing else with their life like there are people who just are wasting this gift that is consciousness and i always wonder you know is consciousness and the soul pretty much the same thing like is that who we are our consciousness does that continue when we die like when the husk is dead does the energy of our consciousness live on in some other capacity is that what reincarnation is is that what heaven is the next step is just I've often thought that the moment of death and the moment of life are the exact same moment. The second yeah. your self dies here, it wakes up reborn somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be changed. And consciousness, life, energy is a physical form of energy. So I don't think it dies with you. I think it carries on in some, in some way. Who you yeah. are continues for the rest of time you might not be aware of that it might be some sort of spiritual reboot but i do think in some capacity we do live forever yeah i i feel exactly the same way um i'm reading a lot about buddhism too the concept of reincarnation i think is absolutely beautiful um i heard this crazy theory um that this is weird every single person you will ever meet in your entire life everyone is the same exact person everybody is another iteration of you and it's an endless cycle. So you've had endless lifetimes. You will have endless lifetimes. You know, a cr crazy thought to have. Um, but I think I think I know how to phrase what I was saying. I don't think human life is sacred. I think human consciousness is sacred. I agree go. with that. I think life is very much not sacred. I think I, I spoke about this recently on one of these shows. I talk about this a lot. I don't think life is sacred at all. Hmm. I think the very fact that you're willing to like swat a fly or kill a virus proves that life is not sacred. Yeah. Life is selectively sacred. Yes. And that, you know, if, if you're in that case, it's like, you know, it's like South Park's philosophy of comedy. 
either everything is okay to be made fun of or nothing is. Mm. And I don't know, that's just me. I mean, I like to think, you know, maybe, maybe we're all like, you know, sperm cells swimming around in the ball sack of some gargantuan creature. I don't know. <laughs> None of us knows. Anyone who claims they know is trying to sell you something and they're full of shit. We'll yeah. find out when the time is right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you. Okay. Let's hear it. So Nicholas Cage, uh, especially recently, has been uh, in the midst of a sort of comeback uh, after a string of box office failures for quite some time. Yeah. But, you know, as the movie The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent says, you know, it's not like he ever went anywhere. Um, but my question to you, why do you think audiences turn their back on Nick Cage? Like what happened at some, you know, he was like one of the biggest A-list stars in the world. He was an Oscar winner somewhere along the line, like 2009, 2010, he became a joke to some people. And I, I can't quite figure out what happened. So I'm curious, what do you think happened? Um, I think it, again, I think it's, it's movie lovers it's the the same discussion we had um i was gonna reference the star wars project but we're not oh <laughs> uh, yeah the that was a that was disappointing yeah maybe one day i'll drop that shit as bonus episodes but yeah we recorded a whole star wars thing that we're just not gonna release now no. so sorry about that no, no um so uh i think fandoms are very powerful i think they can uh they can build up a franchise and they can um, destroy one. I think the same exact thing with Nicolas Cage. I think Nicolas Cage, the way that he acts uh, in today's society, I feel like people can view that as very corny and outgoing and outlandish. And I think people today are either taking their movies way too seriously and they see that as a joke and they think it's corny. The same way that people think that Marvel's humor is not funny. Uh, a lot of their jokes don't land, but when they do, they're funny. But, you know, everyone is getting on the Nicolas Cage's, you know, he overacts, he's overdramatic. He's like a Jim Carrey clone, which I saw someone say once and I was like, Are you fucking stupid. <laughs> but um, I also just think that um, for a while, Hollywood didn't have a lot of good opportunities for Nicolas Cage to be in the type of movies that he can be good in, you know, Um but I think I'm really glad he found his niche in indie movies, you know, because that's that's really all he's he's been in lately. Other than, you know, I don't know if Renfield counts, but he was in Renfield. He was in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Um, he was in I guess he wasn't in Flash, but, you know, he made a quick. <laughs> I don't know. I, th I think people just like to hate on different and strange today. I in a lot of ways, I blame meme culture. I think that, you know, him, his goofy faces from like Vampire's Kiss and Matchstick Men that like Gen Z caught on to and started like, you know, sharing like, look at this goofy bastard. I think that that generation didn't really embrace him as a performer and embraced him as more of a goofy face, which yeah. did not help. And then his whole financial situation where he was pretty much forced to take whatever he could get. Yeah, that was what is flooded the market with a lot of bad movies that he just happened to be in. I don't think they're bad performances. I don't blame him for any of that. It's just, you know, when you don't have any money and you need to pay your bills, you got to take some shitty work. That's just how we all got to deal with. Yep. And in his case, you know, shitty work was, 
you know, seeking justice and next and primal and kill chain and all these terrible left direct, direct oh, video, left behind. Oh God, I forgot he did that one. Fucking Rayford steel. Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, it happened like that. And then he finally got started getting, I think a little more selective when Mandy came out, that was kind of the mm-hmm. film that signified like, Oh, cage is back. Yeah. Not that he ever went anywhere, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I, I never lost faith. I've always been a lifelong fan of this guy. I think he's a neat dude. I like his, you know, the way he describes film, it's a little pretentious, but I think there is heart and love in there. The, it's meme culture, and also he's just a he's just a guy who is unapologetically himself. He knows what he's into, he enjoys it. So I think when he's like pretentious about movies, I genuinely don't think he's like meaning to sound pretentious. That's just him. He's very um you know, I don't I haven't heard of any like allegations from him, but he seems like a, a nice guy. I've heard a lot of good stories about him talking to fans and just being very appreciative of yeah having an opportunity to, you know, be, still be doing this. And yeah, the way he talks about film is, you know, it, it's, it does sound pretentious, but I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's coming from a place of like, he thinks he's better than anybody. Oh. Dude, dude's a Coppola, you know, Francis Ford Coppola is his uncle. So yeah. like he was raised in a film environment. He, this has been his whole life. Exactly. It's not pretentious for the sake of being pretentious. It's it's coming from a place of genuine passion. Yeah. Whenever I see him on talk shows and stuff, he's never like curt or, you know, dismissive. He's always very excited to talk about whatever he's doing. Nick Cage is always Nick Cage. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did the move. The unbearable weight of massive talent could not be done by somebody who has an ego, <laughs> who takes themselves super seriously. Yeah. No. Nick Cage is the only actor that movie would have worked with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately somehow have not seen that movie yet, dude. It is so good. I need to watch it. I'm such a big Nicolas Cage fan, and I just haven't fucking seen it. That's like the Nicolas Cage fan movie right there. He is constantly haunted by a younger version of himself who's like wild and in a leather jacket. Who's always like, Nick, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you gotta get back on this, man. Like, just cr- it's so funny. That's great. It's the weirdest movie, but it is hilarious and unforgettable. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, he's he's just a cool guy. You know, he bought he bought a haunted man like he bought a haunted mansion because it was haunted. Yeah, see, that's the kind of business decisions that lead to you having to do a movie like <laughs> Left Behind. Yeah, he was gonna do, dude. He was gonna do Tiger King. He was gonna play Tiger. I remember. Yeah, I remember that. I wish he was very very close to playing Superman in the nineties. No. <sighs> But, you know, that troubled production fell apart. And I I really want to find that documentary, The Death of Superman Lives. It tells mm-hmm. the story of how this all fell apart. I want I want to get a copy of that. Yeah. I don't know. Superman with long hair, though. It'd be weird. Well, they had there was a there was that version. And then there was another version of the suit with short hair. So, like, they were toying around with options. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Nicolas Cage has been in a lot of different movies, but the director of Pig, <laughs> Michael Sarnowski, this was his debut film after only working on 
uh, he only worked on a three episode show called Fight Night Legacy. Um, I guess it's like a a movie or a show about this fighter who decides that he's done. He wants to go back home and you know be a normal person. <laughs> um, Michael Sarnowski is also going to be the director for the upcoming Quiet Place prequel, Day One, oh. um, which is going to be fucking awesome. We were talking about it before we were recording. I couldn't find anything about the show's budget other than it was really, really small. Um, it did gross uh, almost $4 million. It was uh, $3,875, uh, which is fantastic for a production that was this small. They only had 20 days to shoot, and literally everywhere I read, apparently Nicolas Cage nailed every single shot on either the first or second take. Every single one. I remember reading that, like, they did not have enough money for like multiple takes. So they had to get this shit right fast. And he was more than willing to play ball. With yeah. Him. Just that's fucking professional is what it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, fun fact about the production. Um, the budget was so small <laughs> that they could not hire a trained pig. So they had to actually get like a, like a wild pig and only had three days to train. And it bit Nicolas Cage so much. Um, and Nicolas Cage, uh, he he's uh, said to have quoted, he said, um, I've been shot. I've been stabbed. I've been like, you know, blown back by a, you know, you know, an explosion or whatever. But what's going to kill me is uh, I'm going to get an infection from a, from a pig bite. <laughs> um, another fun fact about the production of this movie. Uh, this is Nicolas Cage's 100th acting gig, which includes movies and TV shows. This is his 100th. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's a great you know, way to celebrate a career, especially playing a character who is, in his own world, I would say as iconic as Nicolas Cage is to our world. And, you know, th- thankfully not in the same situation, but definitely um, kind of reflecting on his own, you know, in- contribution to art. Yeah, this movie is definitely, I would say it's also about Nicolas Cage coming back to Hollywood. Yeah, there's a few movies in the past five, six years that really represent Cage kind of, you know, toying with the idea of going back to Hollywood or staying in the world of indie film where he's been really accepted. And considering Hollywood pretty much threw him away, I don't see him ever really coming fully back to the full And I don't think he should. I think he's. I think he's where he he needs to be. Yeah, he is. He's really good at. I mean, he's he's always been good, but I feel like people are more accepting of not weirdness, eccentric, eccentricness, eccentricity. Yeah, yeah. If it's labeled as an independent film, you know. Yeah, well, Hollywood has gotten so damn predictable with everything. You know, it's either going to be a superhero movie, a remake, a rom-com, or, you know, Jason Statham as some kind of, you know, ex-assassin or some shit. Yeah. Indie film's unpredictable. Indie film is where the create the creativity has gone. That's where the original stories are. So mm-hmm. an actor like Nicolas Cage, who wants to experiment with character and story is going to be drawn to that. And, you know, we've seen a lot of really good actors kind of walk away a little bit from Hollywood and go more into 
original yeah. independent film and it's just been working out for everybody uh you know the, the celebrities get to do what they want and the actors get to do what they want so i say you know keep them coming absolutely i i really agree there's a lot of good indie movies out there do you is is the witch lighthouse is that indie or was yeah. it indie a24 they're oh, yeah, A24 is independent yeah they're independent yeah. they're they've definitely gotten bigger over the years but they've maintained you know small budget uh let the director do what they want with their project like they're pretty hands-off <laughs> A24 is the arctic monkeys and pixies of independent music that's what it is. <laughs> that's fantastic yes, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh pick has an imdb score of 6.9 and a 97 percent for critics and an 84 percent for audience score on rotten tomatoes critic consensus reads it's awful but it says like the animal itself Pig defies the hogwash of expectations with a beautiful odyssey of loss and love anchored by Nicolas Cage's affectionately raw performance. What is it with Rotten Tomatoes? The hogwash, really? Come on, man. (laughs) What is it with fucking Rotten Tomatoes and puns? I don't know. I guess you could say, you know, they're gluttons for punishment. Like pigs. I don't know. I'm not good at it. (laughs) <laughs> um pig is streaming on hulu and i highly 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 recommend watching it even if you hate nicholas cage because this is like not nothing you've seen him do this is a very like serious role um well not serious it's a very laid back nick cage i i disagree i think it's a very tuned in focused nick cage you well i i, I mean it's not like it's not the meme Nick Cage. This isn't like Vampire's Kiss yelling, screaming, you know, eccentric Nick Cage. This is intimidating, laid back, quiet. True. Yes. Yes, very true. This is a Nick Cage who understands the character he's playing here is yeah. somebody who is pretty fractured. Yeah. And yeah, we just witnessed this guy try to get back the only thing he cares about it's a different uh flavor if you will yes yes a very different flavor with the food puns um speaking of nick cage um i just want to highlight nick cage real quick um i just want to talk about favorite nick cage movies i have a list going from number 10 all the way to one um these are in no particular um they kind of are kind of not um but I got number 10. I got National Treasure. <laughs> Just because that it was a comfort movie when I was small. It's so I, I think it's still good. Uh Na- National Treasure is one of my all-time favorite movies. Not just Nicolas Cage movies, but favorite yeah. movies. That's the movie so that good. made me fall in love with American history at a young age and pretty much like propelled me towards a love of history as an adult. And yeah, it's fantastic. Na- National Treasure holds up. Yeah, I gen- genuinely thought that the back of the Declaration of Independence had a map on it. I spent elementary school like really trying to like find a map. I wanted to find a treasure map so bad. <laughs> it's the Goonies, but for history nerds. That's what that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number nine is I don't know if a lot of people know about this movie because 
all my coworkers don't know about it. You probably know about it because you've seen everything. Uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Oh my god, what a weird fucking movie that is. Fucking weird. Nick Cage has a bomb strapped to his dick. Weird fucking movie. Uh, but I like it. That's the only movie I've ever seen where a guy literally has a testicle explode and then just shrugs it off. Yeah. Like, that's the end of the journey for me. If I blow a ball, it's over. <laughs> no, in every action movie, if if I get shot anywhere, that's I'm done. I'm not I'm not continuing. That movie, like I do, I do think it it basically escaped from New York with Nicolas Cage. Like it's it's the same story. Yeah, yeah. But it does have him screaming, Hi fucking yeah at one point. <laughs> so, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Um, number eight. Uh, this might be sacrilege, but I fucking love this movie. Uh, Willie's Wonderland. Nicolas Cage doesn't say a word in this movie, and it is perfect. <laughs> I remember when that came out. I remember immediately thinking, like, oh, so they're just not going to do the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. But <laughs> no, they are. Yeah, they they did three years later, but um. <laughs> Yeah, the idea of just some nameless drifter not being phased at all by like animatronics come to life and like actively fucking them up was yeah. just so satisfying. Like the only thing he does is crack, you know, crack open energy drinks and show. He was grape soda. <laughs> was it? Wasn't it grape soda? I was it like some kind of like supercharged grape energy drink or something. Might have been grape soda. But yeah, I just that's all he does. I, that that was a weird movie, but you know, he 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 made it work. Yeah. Uh number seven, I got kick ass. <laughs> I love him on that movie. Uh, yeah, that's one of the few times he's been part of a like an ensemble where he's not really the lead. He doesn't do that a lot. Yeah. Uh but I love him as Big Daddy, just this very yeah. not great parent. It's what um Liam Neeson should have been in taking <laughs> when he's on fire just screaming like you know, moves to hit girl. I know you're supposed to be sad. I can't, I can't stop laughing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number six. Um, I only put this at number six because it's not, it's just his voice, but I got Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I love him as Spider-Man noir. Um, just his, like, I don't even think he's doing an accent. That's just his voice. Honestly, that's how he talks on like a daily basis with the lingo and everything. So good. Perfect. What does he say at one point? Like, we don't pick the music, we just dance. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. He's like, you want to tussle? Hit him with the old one-two punch. How has he not played like a Humphrey Bogart style PI in a movie? So good. That would be so good, man. They're apparently making a live action Spider-Man Noir like TV show. I want Nick Cage to do it. <laughs> Oh, he, 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 there's no way I would, I, I, he should, I think he should play like the bad guy of that show. That would be funny. That'd be good. Yeah. No, but apparently they're going like an edgy route again with all the new Superman superhero movies coming out. They need to be edgy, but I guess Spider-Man Noir is edgy, but whatever. <laughs> well, we will see. Um, Number five, Con Air. I wish it was a lower, but it's not. People love that movie. I love the movie, but it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Con Air has 
the best usage of a slide guitar in an action <laughs> score ever. Like you, you almost expect a fucking eagle to fly in at times. It's it's the most like gung ho fuck yeah American movie ever made. I think it's the worst southern accent I've ever heard anyone ever do. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I'm coming home, baby girl. Like just no. <laughs> uh, but the character is such a fucking hero. Yeah. <laughs> what an ensemble! Like you know, Malkovich is Cyrus the virus. Like perfect casting there. Steve Buscemi is this weird Ted Bundy serial killer who just gets yep. away. Yeah, like that movie fucking kills. I love Con Air. <laughs> uh, man, speaking of murderers, number four, I got Mandy. Mandy, um, crazy fucking fever dream of a movie right there. The scene where he like finds out that you know Mandy's dead and he like seals with it and he's in the bathroom just freaking the fuck out. Yep. That might be the greatest bit of performance he has ever done in his career. Yeah, I, I agree. I I buy it. I believe that this man just lost everything. Yeah, that movie. That movie's insane. That movie's impossible to describe to people who haven't seen it. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like. Uh, it's like a reverse slasher movie on steroids. I don't know. It's like if John Wick somehow ended up in a H.P. Lovecraft story. Yeah. Oh, you know what it is? It's the fight scene from the first Kingsman movie where he's in the church, but er- but um, instead of just punching everyone, he's like cutting everyone's heads off with an axe. That's what it is. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's quite a movie. Mandy is, uh, yeah, that's, you know, his kind of, his comeback movie, if you will. And uh, I'm glad he did it. God damn, I'm glad he did it. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, these ones are in order. These are my top three Nicolas Cage movies that I've seen as of right now. I got Color Out of Space. Such a fucking good movie. I love H.P. Lovecraft. Um, because of that story, my favorite color is Magenta. Because it's not a real color. Never mind. It's 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 not a real color. But um, Nicholas Cage in that movie is so believable as like a normal farm farmer guy who's losing his shit because he's being infected with this alien parasite. It is so good. I didn't like Color Out of Space. What? But here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've never been a big Lovecraft guy. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. And. I do feel like I owe that film another chance. I I bought the 4K at Best Buy on a whim. I have it sitting on my shelf. I just have not revisited it yet. I I, I you know what? It's October. I think I'll make some time revisit that film. Don't look at it as a Lovecraft movie. Looking at look at it as a Nick Cage movie. Okay, that's that's what I will do. <laughs> uh, number two is Pig. This wow. movie. Wow, right? so good. Such a good performance. I genuinely feel bad for for um for Robin throughout the entire movie. Um yeah, one of his best, honestly. But not his best. Because in my opinion, the best Nicolas Cage movie is Vampire's Kiss. Oh my you really? <laughs> yes! Oh. So good. <laughs> he screams the alphabet. Oh, 
okay. why do you not love it? Why? Why? How would you not like that movie? I I actively hate that movie. <laughs> I think it is the dumbest, most <laughs> ill-conceived piece of shit he's ever been a part of. How many times have you seen the movie? Once. Okay, you need to watch it again. But instead of viewing it as a comedy, watch the movie as if you're watching Taxi Driver, Joker, King of Comedy. Watch it as a guy who has mental illness. Watch it as he is a psychopath. He's not trying to be funny. He is insane. He's literally insane. Watch it from that perspective. Changes the whole movie. Okay. Truly. Hmm. All right, so this month I'm going to revisit two of Nicolas Cage's, in my opinion, failures, and uh, I will I will report back. You should just watch it. Watch it as a, I was going to say a horror movie. Yeah, watch it as like as a psychological horror movie, and it changes the movie. I promise. Is it the moment like? For me, it was the moment where he like raped his secretary. Where I'm like, so this is our hero, huh? Wow. He's not supposed. That's the point. He's not supposed to be a hero. Yeah, he's the villain. You don't see a lot of that happen in comedies. <laughs> so I was, I was very yeah. much like, who is this for? What the hell am I supposed to be feeling right now? So yeah, but it's got its cult following. You know, I I get that. Cage thinks that's his best movie too. Really? <laughs> yeah, he was asked like what his favorite movie he's ever done was, and I think without hesitation he said Vampire's Kiss. It's so fucking good. It is that is like the movie that put him in like meme culture, but it's it it's so good. I love that movie. <laughs> A B C D E F G How... <laughs> Oh well I am I am surprised. Okay good you know i i'm glad you saw something in that one <laughs> i never misfiled anything it's a terrible it's a horrible horrible job and you have to do it <laughs> that did make me laugh <laughs> what, what about you what are your some of your favorites uh, i have seen a good chunk of his career um i think for me it it, it really doesn't get any better than raising arizona uh, yeah. His one of his early films, his only film with the Coen Brothers, him uh, the character of H.I. McDonough is such a hilarious idiot who just does, wants nothing more but to make sure his wife is happy. That's all he wants. <laughs> but the shit he does to get there is heinous and stupid and highly illegal. But <laughs> he just plays this Arizona dope so well. Um. I haven't one. seen I haven't seen it. I wanted to see it. I was doing like a Coen Brothers thing. Yeah. And then I watched Hail Caesar and I hated that movie so much. I like I was like, I don't want to watch it anymore. Do not do not judge the Coen Brothers by Hail Caesar. No. That's like their worst movie. That oh, movie I, I know. It just it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I was like, this movie is so boring. That is it. so sad. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I'm gonna get back into it for sure. <laughs> um I like a lot of their other I just watched Fargo the other day. So good. Fargo's the bomb. Yeah. Um, I love The Rock. That is such a fantastic action thriller. Just, you know, Nick Cage and Sean Connery 
kicking Ed Harris's <laughs> ass on Alcatraz. Like that's awesome. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got here. That's real. Have you ever seen It Could Happen to You? No. This is a quirky rom com from 1994. Cage plays the world's nicest cop, who is well known in his like beat. You know, everyone likes him. He goes into a diner to have you know some lunch, and he only has enough cash to pay for the lunch. He doesn't have enough cash for a tip. So he tells the waitress, like, hey, I'll get, like, how about this? I just I just bought this lottery ticket. If I win, I'll split it with you. And she's like, ah, okay, you know, you're you're nice. I'll see you next time. He wins, like, like $100 million. And he, true to his word, goes back to the restaurant and splits it with the waitress. What? And, and his wife is super pissed. Uh, Rosie Perez plays his wife, and she is the most evil bitch in movie history. The, like, just a horrible person in that movie. And, of course, her being a monstrous, horrible person pushes Cage and the waitress together, and, you know, they start falling for each other and all that. But it's a great setup and just a really charming movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I would never... I wouldn't. I wouldn't split the money with... I like I would be pissed too. Like that waitress is gonna forget you. <laughs> in real oh, life, yes, but in movie world, that's the begin. That's the foundation of a solid relationship. Yeah, it's cute. Okay, all right. Crazy part <laughs> based on a true story. It it's based on a true story that really happened. The cop told you know couldn't afford couldn't afford the tip. Told the waitress, "Hey, I'll split my lottery ticket with you." He didn't win as much. He won like you know fifty grand or something, but he did go back and split it with her as like true to his word. Oh shit! Okay, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, one of my all-time favorites is a movie from 2009 called Knowing. Yeah, that is one of the most, like, just an absolute mind fuck of a movie that really makes you question fate and existence and apocalypse and all sorts of stuff. I've talked about it a few times on the show, but here I'll recap it. If you have, if none of y'all have seen this. It's about a a kid who is having a time capsule at his school and they open the time capsule and there's like, you know, pictures from 50 years ago that the students drew. And this kid gets in his envelope a list of numbers, random numbers, supposedly. His dad is Nick Cage. Dad, you know, they go home. Dad sees a sudden pattern in the numbers that says like 9-11-01. And he's like, huh. He looks at that, he types it in, and there's it says 9-11-01 in the numbers, and then next to that is the exact number of victims on 9-11, which is fucking weird for a document that was in the ground for 50 years. So he starts looking through this document and sees that the numbers are not random. They're all dates of tragedies and the victim totals. Oof. And there's three on the on the paper that have not yet happened. And he starts trying to actively stop them and then finds out the last one is the apocalypse. Oh my God. It is a tense fucking movie. It, it's so good. It got, it made, it did not do well. It kind of disappeared. I saw it and it made me think about the end of the world for the first time. And I, dr I drove away from the movie with my grandpa kind of thinking like everyone I love is going to die someday. I'm going to die someday. Like it, it fucked with me, man. That movie, like, really made me rethink life for the first time. Like I, I really like that movie. 
Interesting. I've I've stayed away just because I feel like it's like uh fuck what's that movie? What's the movie with uh Mark Wahlberg? The Awful. happening? The happening. I always thought it was like in the same boat. No none at all. The happening yeah. is the happening is not fit to hold knowing's dick. Nothing. <laughs> no, not no connection at all. Knowing is a fantastic sci-fi thriller that really gets into your head. It's scary at times. There's a whole like subplot with these albinos that turns into some weird shit. Uh, it's, it's a great watch. I it's one of my favorites. All right, I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. Oh, and then I thought Renfield got a bum rap. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I heard it's fucking good. It's hilarious. It's Nicolas Cage as a hyper crazy evil Count Dracula. What more could you want? <laughs> I mean, he there's literally a scene where he's like, "Hey." Satan in his like crazy ass voice. It's so it's so nuts. Yeah, uh, Renfield was a gem. It, it bombed unfortunately, so no more. We're not gonna get a sequel or anything, but it is worth your time. It's a fun movie. What's your uh, what's your number one though? Like my, my favorite Nicolas Cage movie. Um, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. It's got to be Face Off. Face Off has one of the most insane, ridiculous premises in movie history. Nicolas Cage, a terrorist. John Travolta, a dedicated FBI agent. Swap faces and live each other's lives. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, no, that's not ridiculous, but it works. And it doesn't just work. It's fucking lights out. It's It's amazing. They both play each other so well. The story is so awesome. It's yeah, face off kills, man. I yeah, that's that's gotta be it. That's my favorite. You could only do that with those two actors, too. There was nobody else. You could only do that in 1997 with Cage and Travolta, with John Woo directing it. Like all yeah. that had to fall into place for this movie to work. Anybody else, yeah. it's it's stupid. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Nice picks, man. Yeah, you too. You too. I'm disappointed you didn't have Vampire's Kiss. How dare you? that you know what i did watch it thinking like oh this is going to be hilarious and then no turned out to be just uncomfortable so maybe if i do watch it with a different mindset it it will be better so i will i will try that it will be i promise well all right with that let's uh let's talk about some of our favorite highlights i guess this used to be where we would do our you know uh, rankings of you know best line music performance scene, but we're just gonna cut all that. We're gonna talk about the scenes. I think. Okay. Um. Yeah. What do you got for line lines that you liked? This movie has one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. Actually, uh, when I saw this, I I saw it with my grandpa who did not like it at all. So I was I was alone on this front. Uh, the rest <laughs> of my family still hasn't seen it because they're like Nick Cage and a pig. Get the fuck out of here. It, it, it takes some time for me, you know, in pretty much all of my circles, you know, family, friends, work. I'm the movie guy. People, yeah. people, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but they do trust me when it comes to recommendations because I've seen yeah. so much. Yeah. So I try to encourage that when I can. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm fighting with this one for my family for two years. They still won't fucking watch this. Um. Anyway, it's when... uh. Rob is confronting the kind of, you know, sold his soul to Hollywood chef 
in yeah. the middle of the movie. The guy who's doing the like deconstructed scallops. Fuck it. I deconstructed can go <laughs> fuck itself a million times. I hate that shit. I I love the the documentary Chef's Table, but anytime a chef on there was like, Yeah, we have this dish, it's deconstructed, I just roll my eyes. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Do you ever see you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Yes. Do you remember when Ron went to the bar and got like a, a whiskey, but they gave him like a deconstructed like cloud whiskey and he's like, Where yes. is the alcohol? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, in that scene, Rob says to him, We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. What a reflective line of dialogue that is. It really makes you think, like, what do I care about? What do I really <laughs> really mm-hmm. care about and yeah that that just it, it every time i hear that it just makes me think like god to, to hear that from this guy who has lost everything and he doesn't want to hurt anybody he doesn't want to like oh, he's not yeah. vengeful he's just like all i have left is this pig please help me find it please understand what i'm what i'm looking for here not just a pig but a friend an opportunity to grieve to move on. That's what this thing is. Please, please give it back. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a very emotional and poignant line. Um, I have a few, but um, this one, uh, it's not, this one's not poignant. This is just one that made me laugh. It's a conversation between Amir and Rob. And uh, earlier in the film, <laughs> Rob goes off on this huge tan- tangent about how the city is going to, you know, it, it, there's going to be an earthquake. The city's going to flood and, you know, we'll, you know, everyone will run away. But there's a conversation they have later where Amir says, well, if the city floods, we can always go to up to Mount Hood. And Rob says, Hood is an active volcano. And Amir says, OK, well, I'm not fucking moving to Seattle then. And Rob says, fuck Seattle. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's 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 fantastic. I I've been to Seattle. Uh, not a fan. Not a fuck fan. Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> that's great. Um, one and I I, I picked all poignant, self reflective shit. There's a lot. Um, this is towards the end of the movie after the after Rob's learned the the fate of his pig, and they're sitting in that diner eating the brownie because oh, they yeah. And Amir says, what are you thinking? And Rob says, I was thinking if I never came looking for her in my head, she'd still be alive. God damn, man. I it just makes me it just makes me think like because of the the hand I've been dealt in life thus far, I do not understand loss. I don't. And the day I do is gonna fucking shatter me. And I'm I'm terrified of that day. Yeah, um, I think that really plays into like the memories of someone is important. You need to move on because right after that, um, it's it's the line I chose. It's it's weird that you chose that line because I chose the line that literally follows that. Um, Amir says, um, "But she's not though," and then. Rob takes a minute and then he's like, no, she's not. And then he takes a sip of coffee and then he's happy. He walks home and he's like, okay, 
and he listens to the tape and I thought that was beautiful. It's acceptance. It's moving on. Embrace the loss and then move on. Be happy with the memories you have. Mm. Don't keep don't keep that person on life support for your own selfish gain. Let them move on. You need to move on. It's not healthy. I don't know if it's just my natural pessimistic nature, but I, I read the ending of this film very differently. Really? Yeah. I feel like as soon as he's done t- listening to that tape, he's going to blow his brains out. Really? Yeah. I think like he is, he's accepted that he has nothing left. Like there's nothing left to care about. He's done. Everything he cared about is gone. Like he, he tried, he failed. What's left. That's interesting. I, the way that I took it was him, like I said, moving on. That's why he finally listened to the tape because he wasn't listening to it because listening to it means that his wife is dead. Yeah. Um. When he says he's going to walk home, he's smiling. I guess just the way that he like, after he says, you know, no, she's not alive. You're right. He like takes a breath, takes a sip of coffee. They, I assume they finish their brownies. And then I don't know. He like cleans his face in the lake and that's like, you know, refreshing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm here. I'm good. And then he even says, I'll see you Thursday, which I know people say that before they kill themselves, not to like make anyone worry. But I, I view that as I have you to care about now. Okay. You know, I, I care about, you know, he even says he doesn't need the pig to find truffles. So I, I took that as he's going to continue. He's moved on. He's a happier person now. Well, it was never about the troubles. It was about companionship. But yeah. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely see that for sure. It is just like, I don't know. I got this vibe. I, I, I it reminded me of something I saw in um, something else. Uh, there was an episode of Monk where his his wife had made, had given him a present for Christmas, like the day she died. And he never oh, opened that present. Yeah. And then he learns he's dying and he decides, get me the present. I need to open the present. And that present contained the clue that he needed to solve that murder, which fucking broke my heart. Like he had that for 10 years. I was like, oh, but anyway, it made me think of that. Like, I know I'm going out. So that tapes, I want that to be the last thing I hear. And then when that's done, curtains. But, you know, again, I am a glass half empty kind of guy. (laughs) So I could just be completely misreading this. And, you know, that's the beauty of art. You know, we all see what we... What could be there, what's not there, what is there. It's completely up to the viewer. I just had like a like a memory of right after I watched Whiplash. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to do with this. Well, it kind of does. Right after I watched Whiplash, I, I, my immediate reaction, I was like, oh my fucking God, Fletcher won. He abused this kid. He wins. Um, Neiman gave into the abuse. He gave into the, t- uh, you, you know, he was manipulated. He was gaslighted. It's awful. And then, uh, you know, who was like, what are you talking about? I don't know. He, they both got what they wanted. They cared about each other. And I was fucking shocked. I was like, you have no sense of media literacy. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and she was, <laughs> she was like, she was like, yeah. When he comes in from the car crash, the look on his face is like, oh, my God, are you okay?" And I was like, "Mm, 
no, it's he's not. married because his asset is is damaged. Are you kidding me? When you're when you're in the military, if someone assaults you, you go to prison. Not they go to prison not only because they assaulted you, but something else that's on their record is destruction of military property. Be, that's all Fletcher cares about. It's his property. She was like, no, they care about each other. No, they don't. So it's just interesting, like people who like get movies, it's understood or, or have that sounded really fucking pretentious. Oh my god. People who have media literacy, it's interesting to hear their different takes. But that was that's the most outlandish take I've ever heard anyone say about Whiplash. That is <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell she was smoking. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, it does it helps to watch other stuff. I've all I've often thought that being a being a film buff, being a cinephile is not just picking 10 movies and saying these are my favorites. It's constantly watching whatever you can get a hold of because every film is going to add to that conversation even a little bit. And you don't know what that's going to bring to the conversation until you've watched the film. Mm-hmm. I am the, you know, who I am today is the sum total of about 3000 movies I've watched thus far. Yeah. That's what I can bring to a conversation about film. Mm-hmm. If you watched like four, congratulations. Frankly, you're not going to be able to keep up. I'm sorry, but I have dealt <laughs> with that and it is fucking difficult. Yeah. Especially when you're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm not like, obviously I'm not like, I haven't seen that many movies, but I feel like I, I don't want to chew my own horn, but I think like I'm creative enough. I feel like I can read a little bit deeper that I think I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there for sure. Well, you know, frankly, I think you're doing just great. Speaking frankly, (laughs) if I didn't think that uh, you wouldn't have made it this far. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is, you know, 50% literacy, 50% chemistry. You got to have both those things. And I think we're doing just great. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh man. They care about each other. What the fuck? Yeah, no, this is very much like, you know, Fletcher's like, you you broke my hand. Like, yes, yes, man. You fucked with my nut. Now get the hell out of here. Like, they both give each other a look at the end of the movie. Neiman has like this look where I guess, I guess, okay, maybe it, it can be taken as, yeah, fuck you. But the look is like, it's submissive. It's like I will do whatever you ask. I've, mm-hmm. I am yours. I have become what you wanted me to become. And Fletcher's is I made you the way I wanted you to be. See, you are mine. That is that's a valid interpretation. I often see it as Neiman has taken control, and now he, he is Fletcher. Like he took control of the band away from Fletcher in that scene when he's like, you know, I'll I'll cue you in. That's him taking oh. Fletcher's entire role in this out of it. And basically, you know, fucking him with Caravan. Yeah, he definitely did. But I think Fletcher, that's what he wanted. He wanted to create another him. He did. He wa- Yeah, he, he's been actively trying to create, you know, a, a Charlie Parker. And through a lot of abuse, he, he fucking did. I, I just recently rewatched Whiplash. And I don't know, I've seen it like three times up until here. But this is the only time I noticed that the sheet music that Neiman has at the end is the folder that was stolen at the beginning of the movie. So Fletcher stole it at the beginning. 
I was like, holy shit. I always figured he did, but it is nice to have proof. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then I also thought it was a cool like callback when Neiman's like symbol like falls. Fletcher's the one that picks it up. And it kind of reminded me of like when, you know, like flip my pages, bitch. I don't know why. I thought that was cool, but yeah. Well, it is. It's a submissive thing, you know. Yeah. In that moment, Fletcher's submitting to Neiman by fixing his symbol. Yeah, it's very much a a submissive, you know, master and servant kind of thing. It's it's really fucked, but there's so many different ways to interpret that movie. We have talked about Whiplash more than any movie <laughs> on this entire run of the podcast. Whiplash comes up every three or four episodes just organically because it's such an incredible movie. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. There's so many ways to interpret that movie. One of them is not that they care about each other. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I don't see any scenario where they, you know, shake hands amicably, share a hug, and Fletcher has dinner with Neiman's family. No, this is not no. Goodwill Hunting. This is this is a nightmare. <laughs> it is. It's a very depressing ending. There are like Neiman, his future is going to be Fletcher. Yeah, I mean, he's already alienated everybody he cares about. He his dad. The, the look that his dad gives him at the end, he's not proud of his son. He realizes that his son is gone. Yeah. Yeah, he's very much like, I didn't know what was going on at this school in that in those eyes. It's rough. God. Whiplash, man. It's... Oh. <laughs> Fletcher, I don't want... He wins at the end. He says, you think I'm fucking stupid? I knew it was you. That was that, that was the mic drop of the of the movie. That was, I won. Fuck you. Yeah, but then Neiman's like, fuck me. No, 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 no. Fuck you, Fletcher, and ta- uh, yeah. and, and caravans his way to victory. But, you know, again, you're right. I'm right. You know who is not right. But hey, <laughs> I think we get, yeah, you know, it's that kind of movie where you can really kind of, depending on the day, you can, f- you, you know, this is a happy ending. This is a tragic ending. This is a horror ending. This is not even happening. Like it's completely up to you how, and how you're feeling during the day. I've thought about that. Mo- the end of that movie differently every time I've watched yeah. it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Loving this impromptu whiplash. We just did whiplash like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's never going away. That's just rocking around in here, ready to talk whenever it's that kind of movie. Man. <laughs> um, any more lines you want to highlight for pig? No, not not really. I've uh, yeah, I'm good. I love my my one with uh, yeah, I'm good. Uh, music. It's an interesting score, kind of solemn. Uh, who who did the music here? Um, Alexis Grapsis and Philip Klein. Uh, decent, kind of a feels like an A twenty four drama score. Nothing yeah. to really write home about. Um. I do love the solemn guitar score when he's driving when they're driving to Portland. Yes, that was good. It's very much got this vibe of like, you know, you can like you can't escape your past, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. To quote Austin's favorite movie, we may be through with the past, but the past isn't through with us. What is Austin's favorite movie? Magnolia. Okay. <laughs> that that's another quote that comes up a lot cuz it's just so <laughs> it can describe so many different scenarios. Yeah. And this yeah. one especially is, you know, he thought he was done with this. He'd moved on. But Robin Feld has to go home. And he may find that, you know, the world has changed without him. Yeah. 
Um, my favorite music moment. I mean, this is obviously you know predictable, but it's Lori's cover of "I'm on Fire." It oh. is. It's the tape. Yeah, so good. That song is so fucking depressing. It is. <laughs> no matter who does it, whether it's Springsteen or the Staves or Mumford and Sons or Lori, it's a sad, sad song. It is. It really is. Um, good ending. So yeah. it's like Rob has nothing left but this, but it could also be, you know, he's ready to to put that part of him away and become a whole person again. It's completely up to the viewer. I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it in a less depressed state. <laughs> you think the pig's alive? <laughs> like Adam Arkin just lied to him? Just, yeah. Maybe. I mean, but after a meal like that, I don't know if I could lie. I, I feel like I'd be too emotional to lie. Man, one of the reviews I'm going to read to you pissed me off because of that. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, Real quick. Um, yeah, there isn't a lot of other music. The score is good. It's solemn, quiet. It like, you know, it just, it's supplemental to the movie. It's not really like, sometimes there are movies where I can listen to the soundtrack on their own. I don't know if I can do that for this movie. Yeah. If you played me a selection of the score from pig, I don't think I'd be able to identify it as a piece yeah, no. of the score from pig. No, there's this, uh, who did it? There's a podcast. Oh, I think I think it's Reply All. But they were like, um, they had this episode where they like were getting calls from fans. Um, and if you haven't heard Reply All, it's a wonderful podcast. They're like internet detectives. They like, you know, I don't know. It's it's uh they solve your problems. There's one, there's like a three-part episode where they go to India to like tear down this telemarketing scam company, and it is insane. It's very scary. Um, but anyway. Um, oh my god, there's even this one episode where they talk about um this guy has a song stuck in his head. Um, but he remembers it perfectly. He knows it's a real song. He heard it on the radio once. Nobody else remembers it. They call producers, they call radio companies. Nobody has heard this song ever. They even he remembers it so perfectly that he recreates it like with himself. He like plays instruments. Nobody's heard this song ever. Turns out it is a real song. It just was like a one-off song from like this one guy. It's insane. It's such anyway. Anyway, <laughs> that's cool. They they uh they had this one uh, episode where this guy calls in and he says he has a talent. He can hear um he can tell the difference. <laughs> it's a weird talent, but he can always tell um he can tell John Williams from non-John Williams, and even cooler, he can tell what score each john williams score like you, you can tell what movie they're from with only like five seconds of each song i can i can fucking do that <laughs> that's not really that impressive i thought it was cool <laughs> if you've seen the movies like yeah I, most most movie buffs can do that i feel but you know I guess, good, yeah good for that guy yeah. i guess i guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah that's I, I i i go to this um this quiz website online called sporkle oh yeah they'll do like random you know people do quizzes all the time it's actually how i've managed to memorize a lot of this shit is constantly typing it in on sporkle <laughs> but there is a quiz that i have played multiple times which is 
guess the John Williams score from five seconds of the clip. I've actually oh, played shit. that and I've I've mastered it. So that's great. Yeah, that's that's funny. Okay. Well, you know, hey, you know, maybe that guy's not good at a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take what you can get. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. Um performances. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. this is this is Cage's movie. This is Nick, one of his finest hours. He really is putting in a clinic here, just really like abandoning his whole nouveau shamanist thing to just play a straightforward grieving ex-chef. Yeah, he has range. He does. He has amazing range. He's always had great range. Yeah. Comedy, horror, drama, action. The guy can do it all. He can. Psychopath and Vampire's Kiss. Very good. He plays crazy better than a lot of people. Like when he goes yeah, nuts, yeah. It, fucking hell, is it magical? Yeah. You ever seen Matchstick Men? I've not. He plays a con artist who's like suffering from schizophrenia or something, and he has a he runs out of his meds and he goes to the pharmacy to get a refill, and he's freaking the fuck out of people. Oh, I think I've seen clips of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is he wearing his... like a like a Hawaiian shirt? No, maybe. I don't. I don't. Like a blue I don't remember what he's wearing. I don't remember. But it's a yeah. It's a great moment of like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Nick, calm down. <laughs> Here, have a Snickers. <laughs> You're not yourself again. <laughs> but, uh, other than Cage, um, I think Adam Arkin is fantastic in this as yeah. uh, Darius, the our bad guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, um I, yeah. Go ahead. In in my notes, I wrote literally everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Alex Wolf, um, is he like a newer actor? Because I the first movie I saw him in was Hereditary. Yeah, he's pretty new. I think uh, Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle was his like debut. I think mm. he plays one of the kids. Who, I think he's the kid who turns into the Rock. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then Hereditary uh, was like his big breakthrough role, which kind of drained him emotionally, understandably so. Really? And then, uh, then he showed up in Pig. He's a good actor, man. Yeah. I have, we haven't really seen his range yet, but he's good from what I've seen. He is. He's a very promising up and comer. Uh, I'm, I'm looking out to see what else he's done. Um, oh my god! He do you ever hear the Naked Brothers band? Oh my god! Is that him? He's one of the, yeah. Him and his older brother Nat were were the Naked Brothers band on Nickelodeon. <laughs> Holy shit! Wow, I didn't know right. that. That's fucking crazy. And now what he's now fuck? he's playing like you know real shit. Uh, Patriots Day. He was amazing in that. He was one of the bombers. Uh, that was a dark movie. Um, yeah, he's he's done a lot. Oh my god! I just looked up the Naked Brothers brand. Why are they called the Naked Brothers? Band? I never really cared enough to find out. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, he was in Oppenheimer. Oh, he was in Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen uh, Oppenheimer, but I know that he's in. <laughs> he was in Shyamalan's uh twenty twenty one disaster. Oh, he was old. Old. Yeah. He's he's all over the map. He's he's a uh, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> Naked Brothers Ben. That's that's a hell of a. That's insane. I wonder, like, did Big Time Rush give us any great actors too? <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right 
Uh, what about scene? There's a lot of good scenes. This whole movie's good, but you know, a lot of standout moments. Um, I just I love the scene where Rob confronts the chef at Eurydice mm-hmm. and just you know tears him down for not being himself. None of it's real because you aren't real. And like that's the best defensive art I've ever heard. Art means nothing if you're not putting yourself into it. If you're producing what you think somebody else wants to see, it's garbage every time. Uh It has to come from you. It has to come from who you are, from what you care about, whether that's a film, a book, a painting, a food, anything, it needs to be yours. Yeah, exactly. When, um, when he's in the car, um, this is the second time I've seen this movie. This time I realized that Amir is not, he's not listening to classical music. He's not. Every time the radio is on, it's not classical music. It is a radio show about why classical music is important because his dad listens to it. So when Robin is in his car, he's like, do you like this kind of music? Do you like this car? Do you like that shirt? That's such a good fucking moment. It's like, you don't need to do this. Like, do what you like. And I think that's why Amir cried at the end. He's like, I re- like, I think that's him realizing that he doesn't have to fake anymore. That's why he shuts the radio off. He's like, I can be my own person. He's letting go. I think he's going to be a chef because another scene I loved was them cooking together. And I thought that was really cute and wholesome. I love when people finally accept who they are in in movies and in life. You know, I've always been, you know, the kind of person who has never been a slave to trends, never caved to peer pressure. I am my own person. I've always been my own person. I like what I like. I don't like what I don't like. And I thought you said I've never been a slave to trends. I was like, what the friends, trends. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I just come out as a bigot here. It's like, yeah, and I just, you know, oh my God. <laughs> Speak. Clearly and enunciate. <laughs> Make sure you do that. Um, but yeah, I've and I've always tried to encourage people to be themselves. It's a big part of why I wanted to be a teacher, which uh, has been a, a dream I've recently acquired, which is oh, yeah. fantastic. But I want to help people figure that out, you know, figure out what they like and what they want to do and encourage that. You know, I think the worst person, the worst thing you can do to somebody is piss on their dreams to tell mm-hmm. them like, oh, that's stupid. Or like, nobody likes that. Why would you want to do that? No, that's a dream killers are the worst people. It's awful. Yeah. So I want to be the exact opposite. I want to be the person who's like, oh, you like, you know, you want to make crepes. You want to make horror movies. You want to paint dicks all day, whatever. If you love it, do it. I will back you 100% if it's what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Yes. Um, I think that's something that's coming up a lot in this, like, you know, the newer generation is, I think I've I've spoke spoke about it before. I'm in in at least in in this part of my life. I might be irresponsible, but I don't have a desire to have a career. I just want a job where I can make money to do things that I want to do in my spare time. That's what I want. So like I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, what would be really fun. Literally, like it, it would be just wonderful. Is being a janitor of a hospital. I can listen to music all day, clean up, and then I can go home, and I will make a lot of money doing that. Sounds so much fun. A garbage man? Oh, my God. Mail carrier? Oh, my God. And there should be nothing wrong with that. And every time I, like, talk about it or something, like, yeah, but, like, I'm not calling my my mom out, you know? 
I don't want to be a guy in here, like, you know, being like, my mom doesn't understand me. But, you know, if I'm like, oh, I want to like, I don't know. I want to like, when COVID was a thing, I, I streamed games on Twitch. I was doing pretty good. And when I talk about doing that with her, or if I'm like, yeah, you know, I really like wouldn't mind just, I don't want to be a janitor. But if I'm like, oh, you know, being a janitor will be fun. She's like, yeah, but you can do so much better. You deserve more. It's like, don't shut up. What if it's like, don't, what if it's what I want to do? I want to have time to enjoy my life and have hobbies. But um, uh, like, like you said, uh, you know, people should be able to do what they want to do. And going against society's like norms. There's this really good video essay on YouTube by, um, I believe her name is Shanspear. She talks about how Spotify wrapped is like destroying um, like individuality because it's like putting pressure on you to not be basic. Like if your Spotify wrapped is just full of like top 40 artists and people like, Oh, you're basic bitch. Like why the fuck you listen to that shit? My brother is an asshole. He refuses to listen to anything that's popular. And I'm like, but like, there's a reason it's popular. Like if you like it, that's fine. Don't like be like, nah, dude. I only listen to the Backstreet Lovers and Peach Pit. You know? I... Like like. Yeah, just... You're, the only person who's going to live your life is you. No one else yeah. is going to be able to do that. No one else ultimately has control over how you decide to spend your brief existence on this planet. Yeah. I have chosen to only pursue things that are going to make me happy. Yes. Whether that be a career as a teacher or a podcast with my friends like this podcast. I'm, you know, four years into this. It hasn't gone anywhere. We're not huge podcasters. We're not making any money off this, but we all enjoy doing it. Yeah. And that's all that matters to me. And, you know, I, I watch all, you know, I watch movies all the time because I like finding new stories. I, I enjoy what I'm doing and it's nice to not you know, rely on, you know, oh, who, you know, what new popular artist is like, who do I have to listen to this week? What, you know, what new movie is coming out that I absolutely need yeah. to see? I don't fucking care. Yeah, I think that's why you scrapped uh, Sneak Preview, actually. Yeah, I did, because I was watching everything and it was burning me the fuck out. And I just, I didn't want to do that anymore. I, the second this stops being fun, we got to do something about it. Mm hmm. Exactly. And every time that has reared its head, we have course corrected and everything has worked out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I, I, I feel bad for people who feel like they're obligated to live life because of a way somebody else tells them they have to live it. Yeah. That's a sad way to live. And I just hope those people figure out what we, what I figured out. Yep. I agree. Um, I really like when the scene where Amir's dad eats and you know he's like, oh, it like is like that scene in Ratatouille where he goes back. And one of the reviews that I read on Letterboxd, it was one of the lower reviews. I'll just talk about it now because it fits here. Um, the review said something along the lines of, I'm so sick and tired of watching movies where someone takes a bite of food and it's life changing. It's literally just food like chill out and that pissed me off because it's not they're not like 
crying because of the food. The food isn't that good. And even if it is, what are you eating? Like, you eating fucking oatmeal every day? Like, go have some... I've had food that, like, has genuinely made me smile. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, um, it's not the food that's making them cry. It's food is so powerful because, again, taste is one of the senses that is most strongly related to memory. So, when they taste a food that has a connection to the memory, it's the memory that makes them cry. That's a huge theme of this movie is memories and when he creates the meal that made amir's dad and his wife um you know happy that it breaks him down and he realizes that he probably will have to let her go to you know live with the memory and be happy it's beautiful it is a beautiful scene and just very representative of you know the power that food has over people that you know you can people have a lot connected to that, to that medium. Yeah. And you know, I, that guy who's just like, this is food. I hope you enjoy your fourth visit to Jack in the box today. Cause I think that you are just a miserable human being. Uh, he's probably going to die of type two diabetes any day yeah. now. And you know what? The world will be better for it. Um, yeah, I, I can't stand people who are just like, just let people enjoy things. God damn it. Yeah. Um, I love Adam Arkin's performance in this, like the subtle moments where, he, you know, he takes a bite and he's like, hmm, hmm. takes a sip of the wine, yeah. realizes it with the wine. And then he just collapses. Like there's no hesitation. He's just like, oh, my God, it's, it's so, so beautiful. <laughs> so, um, so something I read about this movie was someone else's like interpretation and they said that this movie um, is a... So the reason I asked if you think this is a revenge drama is because after listening to this this guy explain his take on the movie, it 100% is. He is getting revenge on everyone that has wrong, wronged him, but not through violence. He is breaking down everybody that has wronged, wronged him because he's breaking down their entire standpoint on life and what they all value. So, like, um, the chef guy. He's like, you don't want to be doing this. You want to open a pub. Completely shattered his worldview. The dad, you stole my fucking pig. All right, I'm going to fucking make you realize you have to let go of your wife. He does this to everybody. I guess those are the only two people <laughs> that have wronged him, but you know, whatever. But yeah. And I think like the, it's like the first bite that he, that he, that he bite, that he, you know, takes a bite of. It's like, you know, it's like getting punched in the face first. He's like, oh shit. He's like, okay, this is familiar, but I'm not going to react. Take a sip of the wine, and then that's him getting shot in the chest. And he's like, oh fuck. And then the last bite is, you know, is his the death blow. So he even a- says, why are you doing this to me? It's a different kind of revenge movie. That's interesting. So it's like a kill them with kindness kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. And yeah, it does, you know taking it back to the marketing this was marketed as you know they took they took his pig he'll take their lives <laughs> and i guess in a way he kind of did you know yeah that's that's an interesting way to look at this huh. yeah this is a unique you know you don't see films like this very often i this is literally yeah like you said kill them with kindness that's that's fascinating <laughs> imagine if kill bill went around just I mean, the second one kind of almost does, you know, the, the conversation between her and Bill at the end is almost like, you know, I don't want to do this. I loved you. 
Yeah. Like, but then, you know, five point palm exploding heart technique. So yeah, <laughs> still a Tarantino movie, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting the, uh, to take that approach, mm. but still end up with a similar result. You know, the, the ending of this movie and the ending of like John wick pretty similar. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I'm going to, mm. I'm going to think about that. Very interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Any other scenes you want to highlight? Um, no. I like the fight scene because it's the only fight scene. It's not even a fight scene. He like, to be honest, I I've never under I still don't understand that scene. Oh, because one, what the fuck do you mean underground fight club for restaurant workers? That's wild. <laughs> like fucking. I- what i love that it's here because it feels like i read that an hour of this movie got cut for time because they thought it would drag so i'm thinking that was part of the third hour that just disappeared and i guess they just left that there because that is something that just weird it's a weird thing to bring up and then never mention again that there's an underground fight club of, of kitchen workers and robin feld is this like legend but why is he all he did was let the short dude beat him up he doesn't he doesn't fight him back He's like, yeah, beat me up. That'll bring value back to my name. What? I I don't think he's think I don't think he thinks he's worthy of any kind of victory. But he did that to bring value back to his name, which it did. And that's why Edgar told him. I don't know. I'm trying. I'm pulling this out of my ass because I really have no idea why that's here. <laughs> I don't either. It's weird. Um, something else interesting. Um. I thought that was cool is he doesn't clean one of the reviews I read says just clean your fucking face. Um, but he never does. And it's because he, you know, it just, you know, it's it's symbolic of of the grief that he's wearing, you know, <laughs> the sleep. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, he's yeah. when you're when you're that far into mourning and grief, and you know, you you don't care. You don't care that there's some, you know, some schmutz on your face. Mm. doesn't matter even if that's a you know that schmutz is a giant streak of blood yep like you got you got more you got bigger things to worry about i like when i when the chef sits down and he's like do you need medical attention and robin's like nope (laughs) (laughs) um have you read anything about the uh like the uh greek mythology significance of this movie i have not but i'd love to hear about it let me okay so this movie is the it is literally a modern retelling of a Greek myth about a guy called Orpheus who travels to the underworld uh, to get his lover back, and his lover's name is uh, Eurydice, which uh. is the name of the restaurant. And when he gets to the underworld, they say that they will give him, he will give his lover back to him. On one condition, and that condition is he cannot turn around to see if she is following him back. And he gets to the end, and he uh, he realizes that one. Like he gets to the gates, basically, and he realizes, okay, I've been lied to. So he spends the rest of his life playing sad music and being depressed. But it just it's not like a huge like plot point. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how close these stories are it's it's literally the same thing 
Well, you know, mythology is is a mine for all sorts of great modern retellings. I think most stories that come out of, you know, modern fiction have their roots in some kind of cultural mythology, whether that be Greek, Egyptian, Roman, Norse, whatever. Uh, that's interesting. I've I've heard this. I've heard the tale of Orpheus. I haven't. I never thought pig had something there, but you know, maybe. I mean, the restaurant's called Eurydice. He goes there. <laughs> you know, um, I forget what the name of his restaurant is, but that's another call back to the same story. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because I mean, Robin is Orpheus looking for his lost love, which is the pig. He's not fucking that pig, though. It's just his companion. <laughs> Didn't he say that at one point? Yeah. He's yeah. like, because uh, Amir is, probably, is like, you probably just fucked that pig. And then he, so he goes off on a tangent. And the only thing that Robin says is, I don't fuck my pig. <laughs> good. Very yeah. good. Good to know. But the lighthouse is also, I think, like a is a modern retelling of a Greek. Yeah, that's a lot. I think um, Prometheus mm -hmm. and the, you know, giving taking fire from Olympus and giving it to, to mankind. Uh, yeah. There's been theories that Defoe's character was Poseidon. It's a, yeah, that, that's a, that's one that is endlessly um, analyzable, if that's a word. I just realized why Prometheus was called Prometheus, the movie. It's because the robot was going to steal the fire, which was the alien and bring it back to mankind. That, okay. All right. Yeah. That movie sucked. Those people are so stupid. They're scientists. Why are you taking your helmet off on an alien planet? Why are you playing with a hostile alien worm snake? Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, people. He said, what do you say? Oh, you don't, when they're like yelling at her, don't take the helmet off. And she's like, no, it's fine. You can breathe here. What are you doing? You don't know that. Yeah. Even if there's oxygen, there's, you know, alien microbes in that air that could destroy you. Like, you don't know. Exactly. Right? Don't risk that. And then they do it. They fucking do it again in Alien Covenant. <laughs> like, Jesus. It's about the original films, but in those first four, no one was just tempting fate with alien air like that. I like Prometheus and Covenant. I like Covenant. I I don't like Prometheus. I've given that movie like five chances. I'm I'm done with Prometheus. I, I, I can see why why some people don't don't like it. <laughs> but anyway. Back to Pig. Um, I think it's time to go to our uh, final segment, What's in the Box? What's in the fucking box? All right. So um, I have a couple uh, for you. Um, I have, I, I took a lot. I'm just going to go through some of my favorites. A lot of them are bad because I thought they were really funny. Some of them are pretty good. So. Um, this first one is a one-star review. It's from Veronica Kazupanic. Um, very short and sweet. And I thought it was funny. Uh, she said, this movie is the Riverdaleification of Ratatouille. <laughs> so, that's so twisted. Fucking Riverdale. Yeah. Oh my God. That's There's cool. this uh, YouTuber I like to watch. Um, he says he's never seen an episode of Riverdale, but he saw that the series finale came out, so he watched 
the first episode of the show and the very last episode of the show. And by the end of the video, he's like, I have to go and rewatch this entire show because the ending is wild. There's like magic, vampires, zombies. It's fucking weird, apparently. And this is all based off of fucking like Archie, Archie. Jughead, Betty and Veronica. Like, oh, I have a blonde chick and a brunette chick who both yeah. really want to fuck me. Oh, how weird my existence is. And they turn <laughs> into like supernatural detectives in high school. Shit. Yeah. What the hell? The second I saw they were all hot, I was like, this is going to be terrible. Because <laughs> Archie in the comics is a goofy-looking motherfucker. Yeah. <sighs> My God. Fucking a hot Jughead, are you serious? He's weird. You're not supposed to like him. He's a weirdo. His name is Jughead. <laughs> That's not a normal person. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, this one awesome. <laughs> It's pretty funny. It's from Carolyn. It's one star. She said, a Hallmark movie, but make it rated R. <laughs> the character sucked. I have no idea what the message of the movie was. Would never watch it again. The message was pretty clear. But sure, it is a Hallmark movie rated R. I'll, I'll give you that. Just not every movie that's a drama is a Hallmark movie. My God. <laughs> Hallmark movies are like, you know, I only... I always associate Hallmark movies with Christmas now, you know, she's a big shot, big city lawyer who never had time for Christmas. He's a hunky candle salesman who's somehow worth $3 million and he's going to teach her the true meaning of the holidays and they're going to buy a B and B together. It's always, it's always like this woman who's like, my husband isn't good enough, but her husband is always working to literally provide for her, give her the best Christmas ever they live in a very nice house and then she goes on vacation to visit her mom and she meets someone that works at a gas station but makes a really good apple pie and they fall in love. And his name's usually like Tyler. Yeah. And her yep. name's usually like Bethany. Mm-hmm. Ashley, but with like, you know, a GH. I envy whoever figured that out. Whoever figured out that template of storytelling and just ran with it for 20 years. They're millionaires and they have done nothing they have done zero effort it's the same you know you just replace the names you change the setting you make the sweater blue in this one mm -hmm. and you got a different movie it's it's really remarkable as like as a writer i envy whoever figured that out <laughs> no this one's different this one she goes back in time to the medieval ages yeah this one's yeah. in new york and it's oh <laughs> Oh my god. This one's in Brazil. <laughs> and his name is still Tyler somehow. <laughs> um I don't know why this person this isn't a bad review, just an interesting uh, you know, they pointed something out. Uh, it's from Skipper. It's two stars. They said, I can't believe this movie managed to reinvent the dead wife home video as a dead wife cassette tape. <laughs> that's one takeaway i guess <laughs> that's funny yeah. um okay now on to the good reviews uh this one's from james uh this is four stars it said i haven't felt this much tension during a dinner scene since shrek 2 <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> nice callback there yeah i love that this one is a three and a half star review. It's from Liam. 
he said, maybe the real pig, <laughs> maybe the real pig was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> oh, I love that. I I love that that like that trope. That's fantastic. Yeah. And kind of true, you know. It is, yeah. When we don't find our pig, sometimes we find our you know, douchey teenager driving a Camaro. <laughs> Maybe the real truffles were the pigs we lost along. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Um, last review I have is not funny, um, but it is just a really good, uh, review. It's four stars. Um, it's from Joe Lynch. They said one of the quietest and most subtly beautiful revenge movies I think I've ever seen. Still kind of shaking from watching it. Go in knowing nothing. Cage needs his Oscar nom campaign now. Okay. So Joe Lynch is a very accomplished action director who frequents that website. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, he's done films like Everly, Mayhem, Point Blake, uh, Point Blake, Point Blank. I don't know what Point Blake is, maybe a Riverdale spinoff. Wrong Turn 2. He's a, yeah, very very prolific reviewer on uh, Letterboxd. So pretty cool shit. Picked one of his. Oh, I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, and he's right. This is a very beautiful movie. And yeah, yeah. Cage got snubbed. He 100% in a perfect world should have at least been nominated. Yeah, it's unfortunate, really. Um, Anything else you want to add? Talk about this movie? Pig is great. It's not, you know, it's not taken with an animal. It is a very sweet natured, sad, but slightly hopeful, poignant drama that proved once again that Nicolas Cage, Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage, is a fantastic performer, fantastic actor who deserves the respect he once had in yeah. the industry. And I really, I don't know what it's going to take for people to stop seeing him as, you know, the goofy guy in the memes. Yeah, I agree. I think this movie is very um, heavy on. You know, themes about grief, memories tied to to food and letting go of the past to move on to better, uh, bigger and better things. Um, it's beautiful. What would you what would you rate it? Um, it's a four out of five stars for me. Yeah. Yeah. Four out of five. Vampire's Kiss is a five out of five, though. I think I've got it as like just a kidding. one and a half. I think I got it as a one and a half out of five <laughs> right now. Check out actually go when do you uh when you have some time, go on Letterboxd and read my review of Vampire's Kiss. Okay. I think you'll find it amusing. Okay. All right. Yeah. This was a blast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our letterbox accounts for daily reviews. If you search for me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out the website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to that letterbox. You can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month, and all donations go right back into the show. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. Thanks to you for checking it out. In the meantime, embrace loss, eat mushrooms, and please, for the love of God, don't steal anyone's pets. Take it easy and keep watching movies. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you.